Welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through the book of Philippians. One of the characteristics that ought to be evident in the life of a Christian is joy. Now that might be hard when the circumstances of life are, well, hard. Paul wrote the letter of Philippians to a church that he was very fond of. There is an unmistakable tone of joy in this letter. Now that is remarkable when you consider that Paul wrote the letter while in a Roman prison where one of the possible outcomes of his stay there was death. Paul looks not to his circumstances for joy and happiness, but to his knowledge of Christ. Faith in Christ was the basis for Paul's ability to experience joy, even in the darkest of circumstances. It doesn't mean that he enjoyed the hard things of life or that they made him happy, but his knowledge of his Savior enabled Paul to see those things in a way that allowed him to choose joy as his response. Now, everyone wants to be happy, but let's be real. Sometimes life throws things at us that are not pleasant. The better we are able to put our trust in God and His Word, the more we will be able to experience joy even in the midst of the dark things of life. And then, when we experience the things that make us happy, they will be even sweeter. The main thing is knowing Christ better and better. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the book of Philippians as we discover how to live in the joy of knowing Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Today we conclude our series through the book of Philippians in this series that I've been called Living in the Joy of Knowing Christ. Paul wrote this letter as a response, kind of interesting that um, we have a missionary here with us as we come to this text because the, the, letter, the, the, the letter itself was written as a response to a gift that, of, of support that Paul had received from the church in Philippi, a church that he was instrumental in starting. So uh, keep your finger in Philippians 4. And turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Just some of our con some context to remind us where we are and why we're here. Why are we here? We've got to know that, right? Um, Paul was in Rome, and he was awaiting trial for a... Um, after he had been falsely accused by the Jewish leaders. And so even though there's an unmistakable note or tone of joy throughout the letter, the, the reality is that he was a prisoner chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. He didn't have the freedom to come and go. He did have a little bit of liberty, he could have visitors, and, and they could provide for him, which is what this letter really is responding to, the fact that, that the Philippians had sent some support to him so that, you know, he could live a little bit more comfortably than would have been natural or, or reasonable or, or possible there. And so we remember that, that that's the context, that, that this letter of joy is written from pretty dark circumstances because the possible outcome of his time there was that he could be, he could be convicted and executed. And he didn't know what was coming. And so he's, he's living in that environment. And Paul had expressed his life purpose as sharing the gospel. That's, that's what he lived to do. 
He says, if I can't share the gospel, I might as well go be with Jesus. But as long as I can share the gospel, I'm gonna stay here because that's better for you if I do that than for me to go and be with Jesus. The reality is serving God is not always easy. Matter of fact, it can be really, really hard. And Paul knew that really well. That's why I brought you to 2 Corinthians because it talks a little bit about that. In 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, it says this. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant. In stripes, that means taking a beating, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. He actually was stoned to death at one point. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, less minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep and journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the, in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weakness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern, Concern for all the churches. So Paul was accustomed to life being hard as a missionary, as, a, as being a minister of the gospel. And yet he writes this letter that is just rich with joy and rejoicing. And, and it's, it's such a positive and up book, but it was written from, a, from the, from the you know, perspective of a guy who suffered greatly to follow Christ. And even though Paul's circumstances, the very time he's writing this letter, his circumstances are dark, he sees something that, that we all need to look for in life. See, God has a way of meeting us right where we are, meeting us in the darkness, meeting us right there. You know, one of my favorite verses that relate to this concept is, is a very, very famous psalm, Psalm 23, but right in the middle of it, is verse four. In Psalm 23, four, it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Understanding that, that we go through life and sometimes life gets dark, it gets hard, it gets difficult, it gets, it gets painful, it gets miserable. And yet, God is leading us through it and will comfort us and will guide us if we let him. And Paul knew that. Paul lived that where he kept going. He kept going wherever God would lead. He kept going. And sometimes it took him into some really dark, hard places. And what did Paul do? He just kept going. And when it got hard, he kept going. When he got beat, he kept going. When he, every time something bad happened, he just kept on going. Over and over, and we see it in, throughout the book of Acts. We see it in his, uh, his letters. If you're a child of God, you understand something. God is never gonna leave you. No matter how dark it gets, he's never gonna leave you in the darkness. He, he just won't. Turn back to Philippians 4. God is always with you, and he always has a plan. He always does. For Paul, 
what that meant for Paul is that God would send Epaphroditus from Philippi with financial support so that Paul would live a, a little bit more comfortably while he was chained to a Roman soldier. I mean, it's, we can't imagine that. Can you imagine being chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day? I actually feel sorry for the Roman soldier more than I feel sorry for Paul. <laughs> but that's, a, that's another message entirely. And this, this gift is even more significant and the way that Paul responds to it is in, indicative of, of the reality that the Philippians sent this gift while they were struggling themselves. In their poverty, they are being generous with Paul. And he responds to their generosity. You're back in Philippians, right? Okay, I think I did tell you. It reminds us of Jesus commenting on the widow and her two mites. If you remember the account, you know, he, he looked at that and said, she's given more than anyone else, even though it's two pennies, less than two pennies. It's not, it's not surprising that Paul has this response of joy as a result of their generosity. But the, his reason for joy may not be what we think. So let's pray, and then we'll look at a few verses. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord God. I thank you, God, that as, as, we, as we look at what might have been one of the greatest missionaries to, to walk on this earth, Lord, that we're, we're, we're blessed by the visit of a missionary. And I pray, Lord, as we, as we go forward, that we would remember Linda and pray for her as she goes back soon to, re, to resume the work that you set before her, that you would bless it, that you would keep her, that you would hold her, that you would be with her, Lord God, that you provide for her, Lord, all that she needs, and, and abundantly, Lord, beyond what she can hope or imagine. We thank you, Lord, for this day, this time for us to get into your word, especially as we get into a topic that may, that may be a struggle for many. And I pray, Lord God, that you would see, help us to see clearly what it is you want to say to your church, not just so that we can be happier or whatever else what we might want, but, Lord, that we can see our own mission, wherever it might be, whether it be in our family, our community, our workplace, our church, wherever it might be, Lord God, you'd help us to see those things more clearly that we would be able to serve you with more of ourselves, that we would follow you more completely, that, that the world would look upon our own lives as an example of what it means to love Jesus with our whole heart, soul, mind, or strength. We praise you, Lord. We give this day to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So Philippians chapter 4, we're going we're gonna to finish the chapter today. We're starting in verse 10. Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Again, Paul is writing to a church that, that was going through a difficult time. They're experiencing persecution. They're, they're experiencing the, the, the turning of um, the culture away from Christianity. And so it was a hard time for them. And and he remembers their generosity and he rejoices in the Lord greatly, it says. It says, think about that for a second. If so, someone is 
been generous with, with you, right? At some point in life, you've experienced someone's generosity at some point. If you think back to it, think back. This person did something that I described at that point in my life, whatever it was, as generous. Can you, can you, can you help but feel a sense of joy at that? That memory fills you with a sense of, 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 of how good that was, whatever it might be. And the greater, the greater the amount of generosity, especially when it comes from someone who... <laughs> Sorry, she's making faces at me right over here. So I, I can't help myself. <laughs> can't look at her now. I'm going to be distracted all morning. Um, but we, but the, when, the, when that generosity comes from someone who, you know, the generosity is, is amplified by their lack, by, by you recognize, wow, what they did was really generous. You know, it's like, you know, if I had $10 million and I gave you 20 bucks, eh, that's not so generous. But if I gave you a million dollars, I mean, then you'd say, okay, well, thank you very much. And just case, rick at calvaryfv.com. No, I'm sorry, not kidding, <laughs> kidding, kidding. Yeah. When, when we experience that generosity, it should fill us with joy. And if we then change that then, and we focus on the greatest act of generosity that has ever been done. When God sent his son. There is no greater act of generosity that has ever taken place in human history. Just the sending of his son. Then what, what Jesus did while he was here, it just, it should, the moment you pause and you think, not just on the event, that, that act, but recognize he did it for me. He was, God was generous to me because he forgave all of my sins. That is an act of generosity, an act of grace, an act of mercy that is beyond comprehension. And if we, if we can't think upon that and it, and it <clears throat> fills us with some amount of joy, then we don't really understand it. Not the way we should. And if we, if we really want to know joy in this life, we've got to start right there and understand what that means. Generosity. I believe it's one of the hallmarks of Christianity, the Christian faith. And, and, and the Bible promises a blessing to being generous in Proverbs 22, 9. He who has a generous eye will be blessed. That sounds like a promise, Right? Yeah, generous eye, you will be blessed. For he gives of his bread to the poor. Paul, as he's there in Rome, he wasn't getting a steady flow of support. And it seems, as we, as we read through the different places where he talks about it, and, and, and we'll read it a little bit later in this text, that maybe the Philippians were the only ones that were sending him support. And, you know, they're not doing it all the time because he says, you know, I'm thankful that it was, that it was how did he say it? He said, thankful that it was, uh, has flourished again, which has the idea of being revived. 
and that, and that it's, it's grown up again, it's been born again because somehow they were able to do it. And it wasn't that easy because they're hundreds of miles away and, and you know, there was no Venmo or you know, however else to transfer money. So you had, to, you had to literally carry it from one place to the next. And you know, you're carrying large sums of money through a world that you know, wants your money. Can anybody relate to that? <laughs> None of us, because we don't have large sums of money. So, that, unless you send me a million dollars, I am still, you know, never mind, never mind. No, I, I'm just kidding. Got to get off of that. You know, so Paul is, is commenting on their generosity, but then he makes what may be one of the most radical statements in this letter in verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul wants them to know that his joy over their generosity is not about what it means to him. Paul's needs did not determine the state of his emotions. What he needed, did, that weren't, he, he, had, he had learned how to disconnect his needs from his emotions. Whoa, wait a minute, is that possible? Well, according to Paul, it's possible. And since we believe Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit, that means in God's eyes, it's possible. To disconnect our needs, I mean, who has needs? Somebody raise your hand. Somebody here has got needs. We all have needs. Some kind of need. Something, something where you feel like, okay, I could use a little more of this over here. Or I could use something different over here. And somehow, they're, it's almost always connected to our emotions. And Paul is saying, no, I've disconnected those. He was contented. The word contented means feeling or showing satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation. Satisfaction. That is so key to understanding what contentment is. That means that, means that you don't, while you, while you do acknowledge the reality of a need, that you're, you're satisfied with what you have. You know what? Okay, you know that you know, when Paul when Paul was hungry, did he recognize? Did he acknowledge that he was hungry? Of course he did. When he when he was cold, did he acknowledge that he was cold? Yes. But he chose to respond with satisfaction. It was a choice. Okay, too often, what we do, we feel a need, and then we immediately go over and say, "What's what's the appropriate emotion that goes with that?" You know, what, what, what emotion best fits this need? And Paul says, no, the, the emotion that I'm going to choose is satisfaction. I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be, you know, just content with whatever I have. What that means is that we're willing to say to God, while I do acknowledge this need, if it is never met, that's okay. Anybody want that? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. 
I better keep preaching then. Listen, contentment may be one of the most difficult states to achieve in the Christian life. It's hard. Why? It's not natural. There's, it's completely unnatural. Typically, the way we achieve contentment is we have no needs. We get to the place where I don't, I don't need anything anymore, so I'm content. I'm okay. I'm satisfied. You know, Thanksgiving dinner. That's all I can take. I don't need any more. Doesn't matter how, what good thing you offer me, nope, I can't squeeze another bite down. Then I'll be content. That's not what Paul is saying. What he's saying is that we ought to be able to find that state of mind, that we ought to get to that state, we choose that state, that attitude, right where we are. Now we recognize that God, what, is God, what does God want us to be? He wants us to be actually satisfied. He does want to bring us to a place of satisfaction. He wants to bless us. He wants to fill us. He wants to make our lives to abound with all of the riches of his glory. He wants that. But that may not be the state that he has us in right this very moment. He may have us in a different place, a different, a different state of need. Remember, look at Paul's life. He is telling us that he learned to be content in all things. And if you look at his life, he had lots of reasons not to be content. Lots of reasons more than any of us will ever experience. And the things we're discontented about, oh, are shallow, infantile, and pathetic compared to what Paul went through. And he said, yeah, hey, I learned to be content. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Not just, just people on one side. No, never mind. Front half, back half, I don't know who you are. He learned contentment. That means, that means he, had to, he, had to, he had to make a choice to look at these things because you learn something by, by examining it, right? You, you can't learn something by just you know, going through life and letting let life carry you along to the different places that it carries you. Paul said, I had to look at these things. I had to examine them. I had to understand them. And I had to learn what, how contentment was achieved in this circumstance, in this circumstance, and all the ways that he describes, I had to learn how to do it in each of these places, and he says, I learned it by, and he says, I learned it by being abased. I was humbled. I, I was brought to the, a, a, a place in my life where I was experiencing humility, humiliation. And so while I was in that place, I looked at that and said, okay, how do, I get, how, do I, how do I experience and know satisfaction in this place, this place of, of, of nothingness, having nothing, being nothing? How do I know satisfaction? And he had to go through that process of learning in that circumstance what satisfaction looked like. And then, oh, oh, by the way, he also abounded. There were times where he was feasting. He was having a glorious time. Everybody was happy. Everybody loved him. Everybody was taking care of him. How how do I learn satisfaction in that moment? Because you know, that's a hard place to be satisfied too. Once you start getting everything you want, what do you want? More. More. It's natural. And Paul said, I had to learn how to be satisfied in that. Living in humble circumstances, living in abundance, living in times where he had plenty of food, and living in times when he went hungry. He had to learn how to be satisfied in those times when he needed more to live. He, needed, he learned how to be satisfied. And, he, and it says here, the, the phrase, I have learned, is one Greek word that has the meaning of to learn a secret. 
And the sense there we get is that what he was learning was not something that you were going to just pick up from, you know, your Christian self-help books at Barnes & Noble. 99.9% of those books are not worth the paper they're written on. You have the one book you need. Not to say there aren't some good books out there, but most of them are not. Paul chose this one word to suggest to us that, that this idea of contentment requires a revelation. We have to be taught something outside of this world. It has to be revealed to us from outside of this world. We need the secret that God, only God can impart to us. We get it through his word. We get it through the Holy Spirit. We get it through the fellowship of the saints. Christian contentment, the kind of contentment that Paul is talking about here, the contentment that is, that is satisfied in all circumstances is something that cannot be learned apart from Christ. And if we look around our culture, I am so glad June's over. I love June in one respect. We had the best month in our history out of the Supreme Court. And yet, on the other side, the stuff that was going on is unbelievable to me. I, I recently, I think it was last week, I shared in a message. One problem with wickedness, if you tolerate wickedness, do you know what it does? Spreads and grows. And if you have any question about whether that's true or not, I'm not going to encourage you to do it because it's just too horrible. You know, the pride parades, the things that were going on. I don't know how God has not just rained down fire and brimstone upon us. The kind of, kind of just grotesque wickedness. It's not good. God is good. He's going to take care of that. He has a plan. He hasn't chosen to reveal it to me yet. I need to be okay with it. I need to be satisfied with that. Right? That's not an easy one. The opposite of contentment is what? Discontentment. Thank you. Good church. The feeling or or not feeling or showing satisfaction with one's possession, status, or situation. If you're looking, if you've got something going on in your life and you're not satisfied, that's dissatisfaction. Now, that's natural, right? Almost all of us feel it. Randy may be the only exception. The rest of us, we're struggling with this. It's a feeling like, like you should have better or more of something, things or money or relationship, something. You, you should have more. Or you should be in a different place or circumstance or state, whatever it might be. Not, not geographic state, state of being, mind, whatever. Or state. And maybe you should be in a different state. I don't know. That's between you and God. Personally, I'm Stan, in case you're wondering. <laughs> I am all over the place now. That, you know, she got me all distracted. I'm going to think of all kinds of weird stuff today. It's feeling or acting like there's something wrong in life. Something is just wrong with the way your life is going. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't wrong things in the world. Anybody 
look around and see wrong things in the world, right? There, there, there are wrong things out there because there are things that are separated from God. If you take God out of the equation, you take God's word out of the equation, the only thing that's left is wrong. And there, is no other, there is no other possible outcome because he is right and his word is the only source of right. And it doesn't matter what you feel, doesn't matter what your opinion is, doesn't matter because, you know, God's word is truth. Everything else is not. And, and, you know, truth doesn't care about what you think. Did you know that? It just doesn't care. Truth doesn't care what your opinion is, what your feelings are. I feel like this ought to be true. Well, sorry, God's word says it's not. I care about your feelings. Not really. No, yes, I do. Maybe I don't. I don't know. <laughs> don't come up here and tell me all oh, your feelings, okay? I can't handle it. It's a very natural feeling when, when you're feeling like things are not going the way you want them to or the way you think they ought to be. That's very natural. It's just not holy. And, and God's calling us. God sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us for what reason? To make us, come on, church. Say it like you believe it. Holy. He, make, he wants us to be holy. You're not as far away as you're pretending right now. I promise you. If you're here, you're loving Jesus, you're getting there. There's a scripture we're all familiar with. Most of you can quote it. Maybe you have it, you know, painted on your house somewhere. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths, right? We've heard that Amen. a thousand times at least. Three things in, that, in those two verses I want to just draw out really quick. First, trust in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord means... And this is logical. If I'm trusting in the Lord, that means I'm not trusting in something else or someone else. And you can be, but ultimately what that verse is calling us to is trust in him alone, completely. And the degree which we're doing that is going to have an impact upon our contentment. You cannot be content if you're trusting in anything other than the Lord. If you trust in anything, no, you're trusting in yourself, you're trusting in your abilities, you're trusting in your money, you're trusting in your job, you're trusting in your government, you're trusting in your feelings, you're trusting in, you pick anything. The more you're trusting in this other than the Lord, the less content you will be. There is no, again, it's no other option. It's very simple. It's very clear. Trust in the Lord with, with how much of your heart? Oh, with all your heart. So if your heart is going somewhere else, if your heart is divided, if your heart is connected to something else, if your heart is just clinging to something else other than the Lord, then there is going to be an element of discontentment there, dissatisfaction. You're not gonna be satisfied. It just, it's just the way, it's just, it's just logical. It's also very spiritual. And that means that we're looking at our circumstances and the reality of our circumstances are different than what we want or desire. You know, that we have a need. 
We see a need. I want this. I'm over here. I want to be over there. But trusting in the Lord means I, I take that reality, the reality of the disconnect between what I want and what I have, and I, and I confess to God that I am not able to do anything about it. Even if you think you can. If you want to be content, you've got to confess, Lord, I'm not able to do anything about this. And then you believe that he is able, willing, and planning to do something about it. That's so important because most people will stop at the first one. God is able. And they might struggle with the idea that God is willing. But a great many will not get to that third one and, and, and believe that God is planning to do something about it. God is able, willing, and planning to do something about what it is you're struggling with, what it is that you're discontented with. And it's believing that he'll do it when he is ready. When he is ready. He'll do what he's gonna do when he is ready. I be, if I believe that, then I can, I can bring myself into the place where I can, I can choose to be satisfied with my circumstances, whatever they might be. Again, we gotta remember, the context is Paul is writing this, telling us, chained to a Roman soldier where he may be facing a death sentence, saying that I have learned to be content. Was Paul content when he wrote that? Yes, he was content. He was satisfied, not knowing what the future was, not knowing what was coming, but there was darkness, possible darkness ahead. He had no idea what God was planning because God hadn't told him. So he was facing an uh, unknown future, and yet he said, I'm satisfied with where I am right now. And would he, be, would he have been satisfied if the verdict had been guilty and with a de death sentence? He would have. Now, we have a hard time. We might have a real hard time imagining that, but one of the realities of faith is God will give us the faith we need when we need it. And if we were facing those circumstances, he would give us the faith to face them. Second thing, lean not on your own understanding. Sometimes it's hard to understand why certain things happen or don't happen in our lives or in the culture around us or why, why, why? Why is this happening out there? Why doesn't God fix this? Why, why, why? And we try to understand it, but we can't. We can't understand, especially if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you look at the darkness around you and you say, I cannot, I cannot, I don't understand what, what they're thinking. I don't understand why they think it's a good idea to teach children these perverse sexual ideologies in school, in public schools. I don't understand that. Now, we should seek to understand, but we do it by seeking the Lord. If you want to understand, you have to understand by seeking God through his word, by his Holy Spirit, in fellowship with his people, if we do that, we are gonna to get to a better level of understanding. We may not understand it completely, but that's kind of the point. See, what, what, the, what, the, 
Proverbs telling us is, not, is lean not on your own understanding. Don't depend upon your understanding of things. Don't make decisions based upon your understanding of these things because frankly, you may not understand why these things are what they are. But instead, we should be leaning upon God's knowledge and wisdom, um, his omnipotence, his om- omniscience. We lean upon him and his character and his nature. We lean upon his word. I don't understand why this is like this, so what do I do? I do what the Bible says, even though I might think of doing something else. We should seek to understand, but we do that by seeking the Lord. We don't look to our understanding for, for strength or support. We don't let our understanding to be the determining factor of our feelings. That's a big one. Our attitudes, they have to be based upon God and his word because our feelings lie to us all the time. Your heart is lying to you right now. By faith, we believe that God knows everything. He knows everything. And that he has a plan, that he will reveal to us what we need to know when it's the appropriate time for us to know it. We just believe that. I don't lean on my understanding because my understanding is not complete. I don't have complete knowledge. I don't have complete anything. But God does. Third, in all your ways acknowledge him. When it says your ways, it's, it's referring to the, the, the ways of your life, the way that you live your life. God should be a part of every part of your life, every part, because he is a part of every part of your life. There's no part of your life that isn't connected to God in some way. <clears throat> so think about God when it comes to your life and, and your everything, your marriage, your other relationships, your job, your dreams, your health, your desires, your ministry, your whatever it might be. We need to think about those things and connect God to them. Now, God will not be connected to your sin. So if you're trying to do that, good luck. It's not going to work. Is it really 11 o'clock? It can't be 11 o'clock. That would be, that would be totally wrong. I'm almost done. Hang on. I'm almost done. Contentment. Contentment is, sorry. Be content. Contentment is not natural, but it is possible. It can be learned, but to learn it, we have to go through the things that teach us to be content. That means that we have to go through those things that make us discontent, that, that, that make us feel unsatisfied. The only way to learn satisfaction, one of, the way, one of the main ways to learn it is to be unsatisfied, which means when you're in those times where you're not, when your not, needs are not being met, what does it mean? God's trying to teach you something. It's a lesson that God is doing. And the more open we are to learning the lesson, more open we are to be instructed by God, the, the more quickly, probably, we're gonna move to the other side. 
Did you know that you can, be, you can be absolutely satisfied in whatever circumstance you're in right this very moment? Right now, whatever it is, you're looking at, this is my greatest need right now. And I can be satisfied right now. Right now. We have to go through those things. But we have to go through them in a specific way. You can't just go through them because we all go through stuff, right? Anybody going through something right now? Yes, you are. I know you are. You're going through something. But a lot of people go through it and don't learn anything. They go through it, they get to the other side of it, and they're just as miserable as they were when they went into it. God says, okay, you didn't learn that lesson. Guess what? Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Ooh. Did you know that? Maybe you're, you are choosing to experience these difficult things because you're not choosing to learn the lesson he's trying to teach you? Mm. How many like that idea? Nobody. How do we learn? How do we learn to do it? How do we learn this idea of satisfaction? It's by deliberately trusting the Lord. You look at that and, and you look at what your circumstance, you identify your need and say, I, this need is real, but I choose to trust the Lord. I, I choose to believe that God knows what I need, that he, that he has a plan and he's willing to do something about it. I choose to believe that. Leaning not on your own understanding. Okay, I don't understand why this is happening the way that it is. Okay, that's because you don't know everything. But you have a God who does. So you have to lean on him. Not on your own understanding. And then acknowledging God in everything. Man, I am sorry. I'm going to be way late, so just hang on. We'll get through it. You know, for, for some this is going to feel impossible, right? You look at your circumstance, you don't understand, Pastor. You don't understand how hard it is. You're right. I don't understand how hard your circumstance is. I don't. Paul says this, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This may be one of the most misapplied and misinterpreted verses in the Bible. It's like, I can do all things. I can just decide what I want to do and I can go do it because God says so. But did he? In context, Paul is referring to contentment. That I can be satisfied in every circumstance of my life right where I am right now. In every circumstance, I can do that through Christ who strengthens me. Christian contentment requires an abandoning of self-sufficiency for God's sufficiency. That God, he is able, he is sufficient, and I am not. R. Kent Hughes said, contentment is rooted in the eternal God rather than in the temporal self. The temporal self, me, my, I, mine. Too often, that's where we're focused. I mean, and, and all of these pride parades and all of this, this, this cultural stuff that's going on is, is absolutely self-adulation, self-adoration, self-worship. That's what it is. It's all about me. What I want, what I feel, what I need, what I, everything. 
and it doesn't put me in my right place, and it doesn't put God in his right place. Contentment is impossible for people who live independently of God. If you're independent of God, you cannot be content, and you will, and you, and, but we long for it. The human nature was created to be satisfied. And so we'll do anything we can to be satisfied. And that's why people are doing the bizarre, weird things they're doing because they think that's gonna satisfy them. The drugs, the alcohol, the sex, all that stuff, they do all that in the hopes that that'll make them happy and make them satisfied. But it can't, it can't, it's impossible. Only God can do that. This verse does not say that I can do anything I want or believe. It doesn't say that. Paul is saying that whatever circumstance God places him in, that he can be content and do what God wills him to do in whatever circumstances. That's what that says. It's all, if God puts me there, I can do it. If God leads me there, I can go there. It's an expression of utter dependence upon God. And it takes me out of the equation entirely. Paul is claiming God's supernatural power to do whatever God wants him to do. And Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says this, him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present, <clears throat> excuse me, every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Here's the key of that. To this end, I also labor striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Paul is saying, I'm using all of my energy and strength to do what God wants me to do, but it is God who is doing the work. That's what he's saying. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push, I'm gonna do everything I can, but ultimately it's God doing everything. That's one of those weird mysteries of the faith. I gotta do my part, but the reality, the heavy lifting, the, the big parts, I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna give 1%, God's gonna do 99% and I'm being generous with me. Philippians 4.13 applies to those who believe they know what God wants them to do. I, I know, I believe I know what God wants me to do. And they are, and they are trusting him with every, everything they have. And they're leaning not on their own understanding. They're not, they're not looking to their feelings or their emotions or their attitudes or their culture. They're leaning on God and his understanding. And they're acknowledging him, bringing him into that conversation to do God's will. Paul's gonna wrap this up pretty quick because I need to because I'm already way late. Verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you, have sh that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even at Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. And he, then he wants, this, wants them to understand not to misunderstand why he was rejoicing. In verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul didn't want them to think that he was writing this letter of joy so that they would send him more, so they would send more support. You know, thank you so much, but, you know, you could be a little bit more generous. It's not what he was doing. He wasn't seeking another gift. He wasn't seeking more support. He was content. He was satisfied. 
even to the point of saying that, you know, I have an abundance. He wanted them to know that their faith was pleasing to God. They're living out Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 19 is a promise. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. This is a promise for those who live generous, Christ-centered lives. If we, if we allow God to be our all and, and we recognize the generosity that was, that was given to us, that was expressed toward us, and we respond with generosity, there's a promise here that God is gonna supply all our need according to his riches. How rich is God? He owns it all. The entire universe is his. Now, we understand, this is not promised to selfish Christians. The key is generosity. Recognizing what has been given to you and then giving away what God has given to you. God will meet your need, but not your greed. Just because you want something doesn't mean that God is obligated to give it to you. And just because you think you need something doesn't mean you actually do. God will provide everything you need to live a life that glorifies him and is an example of Christ in this world. He'll give you everything you need for that. Matter of fact, he has given you everything you need for that. When you believe God will supply all your need, it's a little bit easier to be content, to be satisfied. God has given me all that I need, and he will give me all that I need because he's never gonna run out of stuff to give me that I need to live a life that glorifies him and, and, and allows others to see Christ. I can, I can be satisfied with that. He knows what I need. He knows what I need before I know what I need. The thought of the Philippians' generosity in Christ and God's gracious provision through Christ causes Paul to break out in this doxology and then with a brief closing. Now to our God and Father in verse 20, be glory forever and ever. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with me greet you, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The book of Philippians has been a source of joy for millions for two millennia. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? That one piece of literature can, can minister to millions of people for 2,000 years. And while reading and studying this book will bring some of the joy, the fullness of the joy that's promised here is through an increasing knowledge of Christ. If we want to know God's joy, if we want to experience that joy that comes, that the satisfaction of the fullness of God, the, the, the calling of God, all the stuff of God, we want to know all of that, it's all acquired, it's all grown through an increasing knowledge of Christ, which we get through his word, by his spirit, with his people. If you want more joy... It's easy. 
get to know Jesus better and better. Every day, just a little more Jesus. Amen? Our next book is going to be the Old Testament book of Zechariah. What should you do? Read it. Get ready. Read ahead. And look for Jesus. He is all through that book. Fascinating book for us to look at in a lot of different contexts. So let's pray, and then we'll get you out of here. Just a minute or two late. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. I thank you for your people. I thank you for their patience. I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you, Lord, that they're satisfied that it went as long as it did, Lord God. We pray, Lord, for your just touch upon all of our lives and all of the things that we're doing. As we're here, Lord, I am blessed that even on this holiday weekend that your, your house has got, got, is full of your people. Lord, what a blessing that is. And so I pray, Lord, as we go from this place, that not only would we be blessed, but that we would be satisfied. That what, what we have, we have from you. And what we need, you will provide. That, Lord God, you love us with a kind of love that we can never imagine. A love so great that you would send your own son, the greatest act of generosity that's ever been experienced in all of history and all of the universe. And if we can truly embrace the reality of that, that we will be more generous that with whatever we have, whatever it is, whether our, our time, our talents, or our treasures, that we would be generous with all that you've given us so that others can see Jesus too. We thank you, Lord, for, for the goodness that you've shown to us. And I pray, Lord, if anyone is here who does not have a real relationship with you, today's the day, Lord God, that they would open their hearts to receive you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, as we, as we prepare to celebrate the 4th of July and the freedom that we celebrate in relation to that, that there is an even greater freedom that we can remember on that day. And it's our freedom from the bondage of sin, from the penalty of sin. And we do that through faith in Jesus Christ. So Lord, as we celebrate today and tomorrow, Lord, let us not forget that is something worth celebrating as well. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word, but most especially we thank you for your son. And we pray all these things in his name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Happy Independence Day. Go be holy. Thank you for joining us on this exciting journey through the book of Philippians. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have questions or there's anything we can do to help you with that, don't hesitate to connect with us. You can go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. And one of the ways that we would like to connect with you is to engage with you in prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com slash give or text the word give to 951 419 5396. 
Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.